Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. With NFTs increasing in popularity and really becoming its own collector category in many ways, we wanted to chat on this week's episode with someone who has a lot of experiences in this space, but also comes from the traditional art world. So this week we chat with Jason Bailey, who's co-founder of Art Gnome, as well as Club NFT. We had Jason on a few years ago, and he's kind enough to join us again to talk about his lengthy experiences in the NFT space. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Jason, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Adam. Of course, it's our pleasure. So you were interested in digital art really before this incredible surge that we've witnessed over the last couple of years. Tell us about the history of digital art and when and why you got involved and what was the environment like when it wasn't nearly as popular as it is today? Yeah, sure. So I actually, by background, um, was trained in what we would call analog art. So traditional art, painting, sculpture, printmaking, and sort of traditional art history. Um, and went to school for that in the late 90s and kind of grew up really uh, looking up to and, and almost idolizing uh, painters, particularly from the 20th century, and, and actually not um, enjoying digital art all that much. You know, I think back to the mid-90s, movies like The Lawnmower Man, where they have sort of the low polygon 3D character with the low resolution mapping to it. So I was not um, convinced that there was anything going on digitally, um, you know, at the time when I was a sort of a college art snob um, that would that I would really consider art or or very exciting. And it wasn't until the early 2000s when I actually went in and started, uh, you know, I started working in tech and looking deeper into programmatic art, what a lot of people call uh, generative art. Uh, so art that's created using code uh, that I started to discover art that I really fell in love with um, artists like uh, Jared Tarbell, who was using this programming language uh, that came out of MIT called processing that was created by Casey Reese and Ben Fry. It was actually a, a programming language specifically designed for uh, designers and artists. And it made it accessible to a larger number of people that maybe had art training or art background to start to see what they could produce with code. And I think maybe the sort of the eureka moment for me back then was that for for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, we've done things like landscapes and portraits where we're trying to to capture and reproduce what we see outwardly um, around us optically. But when you're able to create art using code, you can actually replicate the the processes that produce the world around us, right? So um, the world's sort of driven by uh, math and things like emergent behavior. And um, what got exciting for me is, you know, rather than sort of replicating uh, nature, a lot of these uh, artists that were able to harness these algorithms and code were almost reproducing or, or building their own nature. And it just felt like an exciting step forward. So that's how I got in. Um, but I was surprised, you know, that's early 2000s and, and I continued to study it and went back to, to grad school where I studied it further. But when I started getting invited to, you know, uh, present at Christie's or Sotheby's or more traditional uh, art conferences uh, based on the data that I started putting together, I guess, five or six years ago, over coffee, you know, and, and during breaks at these events, I'd always ask, you know, 
how come no one's talking about digital art? Like, why isn't digital art almost like the most talked about, um, uh, you know, art? It seems like that's the art of our generation. If you look at what's changed over the last, you know, four or five decades, it's really this digital transformation where everything in our life has shifted from how we work and eat and sleep and date. Everything has been dramatically shifted through digitization. Why wouldn't we be celebrating and talk about talking about and sort of documenting and preserving um, all this digital art when it really seems like that's what's the, the, the most unique and significant thing about, about our time? But there really wasn't a heck of a lot of interest in, um, in digital art back then. I mean, I want to be careful. There, were, of course, were pockets of people that um, had, you know, uh, backgrounds and educational backgrounds in digital art and were trying to spread the word. And there were, uh, you know, a handful of museums that had interest. But really, the history of, um, of the traditional art world is one that sort of pushed back and, and you know, didn't really see a lot of value uh, in digital art. And I would argue that was all the way up to just a couple of years ago. So um, it was pretty mind-blowing this last year, 2021, uh, when we saw sort of the NFT explosion. And so many people, um, just everyday people that maybe never thought that they had a way to engage with art before. Plus now, um, you know, traditional brands from the, the, the traditional art world that have been around, in some cases, hundreds of years, like Christie's and Sotheby's, or even more modern uh, gallery-type brands like Pace, and watching them all come into this uh, sort of digital space I think largely because of sort of the, the rush of interest around NFTs has been uh, has been pretty fascinating. So I didn't really go into the NFT part there, but I think that kind of quickly gives you the, the arc of my background um, and, and what I've sort of perceived in terms of interest around digital art. Well, it's really interesting to learn about your history and experiences with digital art, as well as what the environment was like during the nascent stages of it and when it wasn't being discussed on social media and on the news every day. So your most recent venture is named Club NFT. You hadn't established it yet when we had you on the podcast a few years back. You've looked at NFTs and especially the technology behind them and have identified some major issues with them. What are some of the issues you're trying to solve with Club NFT? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I got started collecting uh, NFTs before we were calling them NFTs. We were calling them sort of art on the blockchain or rares or dank rares. Um, know, back in 2017 and was drawn into this community um, because I thought it was an opportunity for us to sort of build out. Back then, it was a bunch of like hippies and nerds and technologists that all kind of came together. And we thought, well, maybe we can build an entirely new art world since digital arts being overlooked and so many people around the globe don't really feel like they can sort of participate in the traditional art market or the traditional art world. Maybe it's a, this is an opportunity for us to try to build something out that's sort of uh, decentralized, right? So um, I became a big part of that community and really collected, maybe was one of the first serious um, you know, uh, NFT collectors and collected a heck of a lot of digital art, not because I thought it would ever be worth anything. That would have sounded absurd in, in late 2017, early 2018. Um, you know, is buying these things for five, ten, fifteen dollars. But because we felt like if we were going to build a new engine or explore the potential to build a new art world, someone has to put gas into that engine. You know, so I and and I derive joy from supporting artists. So for small amounts of money, I was really able to participate a bunch. And and I went around the world to try to help. You know, lecture and present and write about what we thought the potential was for what has become sort of the NFT market. Um, and would tell people things like, well, the beauty of this 
is that you don't actually have to depend on anybody. It's very web three, right? So if the market, if you buy an NFT at a marketplace and that marketplace goes under, you don't have to worry because you own the token, right? The same way you don't have to rely on a bank if you have Bitcoin, right? It was sort of a, a similar philosophy. The problem was in 2018 when cryptocurrencies started to crash and then what we now call NFTs, um, you know, not that there was ever a strong market there to begin with, but it started, people started to lose interest and it started to crash. The marketplaces, the NFT marketplaces went out of business and um, instead of me having access to all my tokens and all the art associated with them and like, you know, everything being like, uh, you know, all clean and good, like I thought it was going to be. And like I had told everyone else, I often no longer had access to my tokens most of the time. Or if I did, you know, the images were stored um, on servers that were no longer being paid for and, and they sort of disappeared. So um, wasn't really angry in 2018 when this happened because I had spent five, ten dollars here or there. It was mostly to support artists, and you know, I, I did make a note that, huh, you know, I would have thought if um, you know, uh, a scribe uh, was a platform that went under, or digital um, objects went under, or rare art network, I would have thought when they went under that I would have had these things, but I didn't. But no one seems interested anymore, so it kind of went to the to the wayside. Fast forward to 2021 you know, post Beeple sale, um, you know, the $70 million NFT, all of a sudden there's a gold rush of new collectors coming in. And unlike the 2000s or the 2017 collectors who are mostly just collecting for the sake of having a token because they're coming from a crypto uh, currency background, these new collectors that are coming in and spending, you know, millions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of dollars, they're actually buying what they think is, you know, a token that that is the, the visual aspect of the art is, is kind of what they're falling in love with. So they go to a site like Super Rare um, or OpenSea and they scan around uh, looking at images and they find one that they, they fall in love with and they purchase that that artwork. But what they don't realize is that that art actually never lives on the, the blockchain, right? Part of why I couldn't access my uh, NFTs from 2017 and 2018 is because the blockchain is not great at storing images. So a lot of that art, um, you know, was on just third party servers and, and, and disappeared. So to get to, to what Club NFT is, I thought, well, holy crap, nobody's really actually addressed any of the concerns that caused all the NFTs to disappear from 2017 to 2018. Not such a big deal when it's like, you know, the whole market is less than a couple million dollars. Now we've got a $40 billion, billion with a B, dollar market, and all those issues are still uh, unaddressed, right? So um, when investors started reaching out to me in early uh, 2021 as someone who you know, had made some money in the space and was considered sort of an expert around NFTs, a lot of investors wanted to try to get money into NFT space. And I, I got offers to try to build um, a, uh, a crypto art or, or NFT art fund uh, from several different people and was flattered, but passed because really I felt like uh, collecting is what I love. And if, if I had to get an ROI for other people based on my collecting decisions, it would sort of kill what I love. Other people offered for, for me to sort of build out a marketplace and they would fund that. And I also passed on that. But uh, one particular investor said, you know, what, what problems do you see here? What do you want to solve? And I said, look, this space is kind of crazy. I, and at the time it, we were just starting to see the explosion and in interest. I'm like, People don't realize what they're collecting. I love NFTs and I love the opportunity, but it's very early on and the infrastructure isn't really where it needs to be to support this kind of growth and interest. Somebody needs to build a solution or a set of solutions really 
to give collectors the confidence they need in the long run that they can actually protect and truly own their NFTs. So that's the, the, the bulk of what we've been working on um, at Club NFT. And that can range from software. So we have a tool that allows people to download all their off-chain NFT assets in the exact format that they would need them in to restore them should the marketplace go out of business and stop paying for the storage, right? So it kind of puts the power back in the hand of the end user. So that's a free tool and you don't have to depend on us. You can store your files locally and that helps solve some of the, the bigger problems with NFTs, but not all of them. So we also have an editorial, uh, you know, when I look at how um, people are treating these new NFT collectors and NFT artists, a lot of times they say things like, these aren't real NFTs. These aren't real um, art collectors. They're just flippers. You know, they're just buying these things to flip them. Or these, you know, none of the art in, in the NFT space and crypto art space is any good. And my belief as someone that sort of has a foot in the traditional art world as well, is that that's not true. I'm sure you can find art that you might not be interested in if that's what you're going to, to look for when you go into the NFT space. But I think there's plenty of amazing art and amazing collectors um, coming in and rather than tell them that they're not real collectors or real artists, we've built Right Click Save, an editorial where we treat those people with the respect that I think they deserve. And we also try to help explain to people some of the more technical aspects around NFTs so they can understand what it is that they're actually owning and be responsible stewards and collectors for the work that they're, that they're bringing in. Um, in addition to that, we're looking at building out an end-to-end -end collector uh, collection protection course, free course, that will explain all of these crazy detailed steps about like, how do I take care of my private key and set up my wallet in a way that, you know, I don't have to worry about getting hacked or scammed. And how do I figure out which NFTs are actually constructed in a way that they'll be around for a while? How do I avoid buying an NFT that's not actually by the artist who, you know, they're claiming to be? There's so many uh, potential, you know, uh, traps or loopholes. You see it in the, the press every week. The majority of articles on NFTs are about, this person got scammed or this person got tricked. But I believe that we can still grow the space into something really uh, amazing. We just need to have the tools, resources, and education in place, um, as you would need with any new technology, to, to help collectors as they're finding their way in this new space. And so with Right Click Save, I think editorial content and intellectual writing about the actual art rather than just the market, it's incredibly important at this stage and really vital to the longevity of this art movement. So who's working at Right Click Save? Tell us a little bit more about it. Is it just you? Are there other writers contributing? Sure, yeah. So our current model, um, so first I should say we kind of went to great pains to make sure that Right Click Save has a editorial independence from Club NFT. So while Club NFT, uh, the company funds uh, Right Click Save, um, I don't I don't get to make um, you know veto decisions on the editorial, and it's not designed um, necessarily to agree with and uh, promote everything that we believe at Club NFT either. It's really meant as a stage um, to to sort of present a variety of angles, thoughts, um, and perspectives, a plurality of voices around the many subcultures that there are in the NFT space. I think if you look at the NFT space from a distance, it can just feel like one thing, like monolithic. But the closer you get in and the more you start to explore, the more you realize there's actually a pretty wide variety of, of subcultures within this space. And our goal was to actually commission uh, voices across all those different spaces and to have a safe place for people to actually disagree with each other and to, to come in and 
look at things from different angles. So I brought on uh, Alex Astoric, um, who has a, a background having worked for uh, several fairly well-known um, traditional art publications um, to be the editor-in-chief over at Right Click Save. And um, our, our goal has been to sort of reach out to writers intentionally across a, a broad spectrum. So some of those writers are folks with, you know, PhDs in art history that work, um, you know, uh, teaching and lecturing um, on sort of traditional uh, art. Other folks are people with no traditional art background whatsoever, but who were pioneers um, in establishing what's become sort of this entire NFT space. So folks like Joe Looney, who invented uh, Rare Pepe Wallet, upon which all uh, modern NFT marketplaces are, are, are based. So we kind of knew that there would be collisions there. We see those collisions in their ugliest form when you look at the polarized stories or polarizing media or people sort of yelling at each other back and forth um, on, on Twitter. Um, but our theory, and it's playing out really nicely, is that if you start with really well-researched, well-thought-out um, uh, discourse you know, and, and articles and writing um, that you make accessible to people, um, even if people read those and disagree with what's been written, it starts at a level where people are civilized and thoughtful in, in putting out their initial argument. So those people that want to disagree spend a little bit more time thinking about what their rebuttal is or, or, or why they disagree and how they want to come back. So even on Twitter, which can feel a little bit like a, a knife fight sometimes with so many people just kind of sniping at each other, um, we're seeing really great conversations and dialogues unfold directly from Right Click Save where uh, people are, are sort of respectfully engaging in debate instead of just kind of hurling insults uh, back and forth. And it's been really, really great to see. I think it was just even as a collector in this space, uh, we were hitting a threshold where uh, Congress, the, the return, the ROI on sort of engaging with folks about NFTs was just going further and further down. Um, and I'm really proud and pleased with what Alex has accomplished in a short amount of time with Right Click Save in terms of raising the level of conversation. And we're getting sort of fan mail, honestly, um, from lots of different uh, subcultures and, and folks from lots of different you know, walks of life um, and lots of different backgrounds who seem to appreciate that instead of having sort of this one loud cheerleading voice or this one loud anti-NFT voice or this one loud voice that only talks about the market or this one loud voice that's afraid to talk about the market, right? We've really opened up um, a, a platform to kind of look at it from, from multiple angles. Yeah, I've browsed the site and read some of the articles. They're really great. So I recommend our listeners do as well. And so before we let you go, I want to ask, you're one of the few people who have been heavily involved in both the traditional art world with data and analysis, as well as the digital art world. So I think people are still wondering, will there be crossover or will it be just these two parallel worlds that continue to run next to each other, but don't intermingle much? So do you think there's crossover with the NFTs in the traditional art world? Where do you see this headed? Yeah, sure. So I, I wish I could say that there was a lot more crossover. I think some of my traditional art world friends look at Christie's or Sotheby's or Pace or big brands like that coming into the NFT space. And they say, Jason, what do you mean there's not crossover? Look at all these big brands that are coming over, you know, uh, into, into the NFT space or dipping their toes into the NFT space. But having talked to uh, the majority of the big auction houses and the folks that are sort of in charge of their NFT initiatives, I always ask, um, 
are you seeing any of your traditional clientele, uh, you know, the folks that have been buying, you know, paintings and sculptures and things like that for the last 25, you know, 30 years, are you seeing um, those people come over and become sort of the, the bulk of buyers for these NFT sales that you're doing? Um, or is it really just the, you know, this younger group, typically younger group of folks that have um, done quite well in the cryptocurrency market that, that are coming in? And they've almost all told me they're seeing almost no, um, not, none of their traditional collectors coming in and engaging in that. It's really uh, sort of this new breed of collector, right, often who's done quite well and made some money uh, in the crypto space that's coming in. Now, I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And I think that the, the uh, auction houses and older art brands are actually thrilled, right? Because they were faced with this issue of uh, sort of like a generational divide or gap, right? A lot of what I want to say, more traditional art collectors going back to like, you know, the 80s or like, but almost like the stereotype. I don't want to, to paint any particular person into, into directly into the stereotype, but I think we have to acknowledge there was this sense that Art was something that you would tie up with luxury or exclusivity and things like that through the 80s and the 90s. But I think we have a younger generation that is, you know, A, more digitally oriented and maybe perhaps less likely to participate in, you know, in some of these live events. But B, is really also much more about inclusivity and how do we build this new market? How can we be more global, right? And maybe I'm not going to... Um, ever own a house. So how many of these artworks can I really, you know, uh, you know, do I really want to own physically or whatever? So, or, or who can even collect? Is it something that you have to be super wealthy? Um, you know, is it a luxury even anymore to collect art? Or is there a way that we can reframe all of this in a way that more artists can participate, more collectors can participate, and we can sort of boost the signal of multiple people? So yeah, in summary, what I think is happening is uh, that we're, we are effectively building a, a new art world. Some of the old art brands uh, smartly are, are tapping into it um, and leveraging sort of the, the fact that they've got well-known brands um, as, as a way to engage into the space. Um, but it's really, my experience has been mostly younger folks who grew up buying you know, uh, weapons or skins in video games, you know, younger folks who never owned a CD or a tape cassette um, so the idea of owning music that you don't have a physical component for makes sense to them or never owned a VHS cassette or a DVD. So the idea that they would own, you know, uh, movies that they don't actually have a physical component makes sense to them. So now when it's time to buy art, um, it's not so difficult for them to get past this idea that I'm buying something that has no physical component. I don't necessarily hang it on my wall because they've been buying things that way, you know, digitally for a long time. The flip side, and I'll pick on my parents a little bit here because I always want to be careful not to be ageist. You know, fundamentally, anyone at, at any age can engage. But, you know, I don't think my parents will ever understand, and I don't blame them, why someone would spend money on a JPEG they can see for free, right? They're like, well, wait, you can see this on the screen for free. And I'm like, yep. And they're like, everyone else can see it for free too, right? And I'm like, yep. And they're like, so why would you give someone, you know, 500 or 5,000 or $5 million dollars for an image that, you know, you can see for free. And I think it's just, it's a, it's almost too much of a struggle generationally for a lot of folks to, to come over. And, and I get it. If you weren't born in it and you weren't raised with it, um, then, then it could be a real struggle. Well, we'll just keep monitoring these two spaces and see what happens in both the near and long-term future. Jason, thanks so much for joining us and chatting with us about your experiences in the digital art space. If our listeners want to learn more about Club NFT or right-click save, what are the websites they can visit? 
Yeah. So we were lucky enough to, um, one of the benefits of getting in early is I was able to score a lot of the good domains. So you can just go to clubnft.com or rightclicksave.com. Um, and I'm on Twitter a bunch um, as just at Art Gnome. Um, so if you have any questions, feel free to, uh, to reach out there. Perfect. Thanks so much again for coming on, Jason. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, uh, Adam. Always enjoy our conversations.